dude, that that the final two hours of that were tonight, almost immediately before us recording this. So I'm nice. I'm a little verklempt. <laughs> um, Did it follow all the way through his death, Michael Michael Jordan's uh, untimely demise? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, can you believe that the space program thought it would be a, a smart <laughs> idea to put astronaut like replace astronauts with NFL star or sorry NBA stars? and send them to space because they're peak physical specimens. But then, like, first of all, it was a national tragedy when that ship blew up. Well, I mean, it yeah. didn't blow up. It just went missing halfway to the moon. Wait, but, what? Oh, Michael Jordan's ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It seems like, I don't know. It, it just seems like you're gambling with a lot when, I mean, astronauts, that's one thing. Those are national treasures. Absolutely. Yeah. You got Nicolas Cage. You got all the other, the cast of National Treasure in there. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you, when you take our NBA athletes, when you take our basketball guys and send them to space and then lose them, it just, it, it's, the, the pain felt threefold. You're taking some of the most expensive and valuable muscles on the planet and sending them to space to atrophy. It's, it's, it took another... Fifteen years to be able to think about Space Jam Two because we sent all of the possible stars yeah. with Michael up there. Yeah. Anyway, he's not going to be in it, is he? Michael, no. Space he's Jam been, Two. He's gone, bud. <laughs> LeBron is in Space Jam Two. acceptable podcast episode 179 the one in which we almost rise from the ashes Django we are almost <laughs> out of this mess because Django and I will tell you next Wednesday there are new comic books which means there next are. podcast episode 180 we will be talking about new comic books some mostly uh, like middle issue DC comics this week i can do you, do you remember wait no i don't in fact a lot of them are on comiXology already and they're not even ones i would want to read but i am ready to celebrate the birth and death of the day through illustrated fiction it will be fantastic today uh a day of recording is sunday this should go up monday which means the following day Django and Jeff will be rolling around in comics, and that is crazy, which is a great yes. segue again into what, into what this is, which is a comic book podcast, obviously. Match. With two buddies who own a comic book shop. Yeah. Uh, own and remotely run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a customer of ours sent me a picture of him standing outside the comic shop yesterday, and it said, I miss our talks and just the store in general. Um, and I thought, what a sad husk of a shop right now. Man, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if we could just have, what if we had like a, a 12 hour Zoom, dip in, dip out, come say hi. Who knows who's gonna be there from the store? Who knows which customers are gonna be there? That's an awesome idea. I would wanna be there for all of it. And as such, I am like just threading the needle with getting <laughs> all of this stuff done that I've created for myself. But it's crazy, like, and I know you're in the same boat, but like it's yeah. 
it's like, whoa, okay, I've, everything in the days have been regimented so far. So it's been, it's been a real busy time. Yeah. So, all right. So with no new comics. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm so what, excited. What have, been, uh, what, have been, what have you been reading today? Django, don't be coy for the listeners, all right? You know exactly what I've been reading. I wanted to get the juices <laughs> flowing. I wanted to get the steak sizzling under the broiler, but keep that middle raw, you know? You want to put the, the, put the cheese on the sandwich the, you got to get that cheese melted and the bread crusty on one side but soft on the other so what i've done is <laughs> one of the most disgusting things i've ever done um and i gosh i, I brought everyone five years i brought everyone together here today <laughs> so that i can talk about this disgusting stack of django comics that i read so These are formative comics for me jeff clearly um clearly <laughs> and 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 so i'm going to give the rundown i did not i wanted to have read all of the issues of all of the books he gave me but one of those series that he gave me is justice incorporated and it would have been impossible for me to read the second issue of that in the last three days um but the so you know like get ready we got we got a book rundown there's going to be image you know title image shots of covers in the the rundown of the episode so excited about that so they are so also, yes, I want when when you're telling us what you read, mm -hmm. I want to show you the counterparts to what I read because I loaned you a bunch of my childhood comics to read. Yeah, and then like I wasn't even thinking that that would be the thrust of a whole podcast, but when right. you mentioned it, I realized like, oh yeah, sure that that totally makes sense. But I don't have those to read, so I read similar issues to you. Well, I didn't read the same ones, but I right. think I can talk about them from memory. So there was one tragedy. So I, I think of this as the books that pile up in your life when you have a Django. <laughs> so I have four comics today that are things that found their way into my life because I have a Django. Ideally, one of them was going to be the issue of the shadow with the purple cover. Oh, no. But I have one of those floating around, but it's either in my car or in a box and because it was from before when I moved into this house. And I didn't have the energy to find that one. So I was maybe going to see about swinging by your house earlier today. But again, the day was too full. So I replaced that one with a different book that found its way into my life because I have a Django. We'll do so, the shadow another time because I really... Yeah, we certainly will. Um, the first issue that we'll talk about is the 2007 classic by Darwin Cook, The Spirit, number one. Oh, yeah. Yep. That is a great book. We'll move it right along to the November of 1990 classic, Lobo, number and one. My counterpoint to that was the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special from uh, 1991 also. Uh, same creators, I believe. Mine's Keith Giffen, Alan Grant, and Simon Bisley. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, that's exactly who we're looking at. Then I did the seemingly impossible, everyone. I read Justice Incorporated, number one, 1989. This is by Andy Helfer and Kyle Baker, two of Django's favorite comic creators, the people who did The Shadow, that he was his first comics. Um, and then I, you know, I finished it all off with the Don McGregor, Gene Colan classic, Nathaniel Dusk, Private Investigator, 1983. Number one? Number one. Of four. Of, of four, yes. Okay. So uh, Justice Incorporated is a two-parter. I read the second part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. That actually, 
the feeling I just got when you said that you read that is like when you take a shot of gross alcohol or something. <laughs> um, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus. No, no, <laughs> no. Um, okay. Oh, so. I, I also read, and, yeah. and this is maybe the most fun I've had reading comics in a long time. I read Nathaniel Dusk 2, Apple oh. Peddler's Diet Dawn, issue one, two, three, and four today in between naps. Oh, oh, I'm glad you got a nap day in, bud. You deserved it. Um, and if we have time, I read uh, Superman for All Seasons at some oh, point man. this week, too. You know what actually just really impressed me is that you have the issues of that. Uh, we bought them in a collection lately. It's also that's cooler than the, that's cooler than the paperback. That 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 is yeah. cooler than the paperback. Yeah, I, I liked I liked reading those issues a lot. I've I've been reading a lot of paperbacks lately. Also, like I just read the Thor, um, Jason Aaron joint. The Jason Aaron Thor, the Jason Aaron Spike Jones joint. Yeah, um, but there is something about reading issues like that, like the the square bound, sixty four page format. Yeah. Um, so is there any, any bases we need to touch before we get into this? Any catch up, anybody, you know, any, any news? Gosh. Oh, uh, the, the episode that went up a couple days ago because I couldn't get it up on a Monday cause <clears> I just, my, my schedule is totally out. Um, but it was me and Colette and Roman talking about Star Trek and it was pretty well received. Yeah. And Matt Goff gave me a call and oh, wanted really? me to pass, pass along a thing. Um, you had said that um let's see number two right is the audience's what well yeah so i said that Riker sort of serves as like the luke skywalker-esque character like the, yeah. the, the person that kind of functions as a thing that the audience can most easily relate to and i guess mostly compared to Picard who I would have assumed it was, but I think he actually functions as a sort of like mentor elevated type character and right. it makes it hard to follow him as a protagonist. But what did Matt say? Matt, Matt said that uh, instead of screaming at his iPod while you were uh, using the wrong terminology, he wanted to make oh, sure no. that you knew that it is the audience's surrogate. Oh, is that a term? It's, that's the actual term. I think you said like oh. audiences stand in or like I didn't even whatever, know there was whatever a term. you Yeah. So he he was he can't, there was something else that we couldn't put our fingers on one day when we were doing the podcast and yeah. everybody was screaming at their at their headphones trying to tell us what it was. That's happened a lot actually, bud. It yeah. turns out. Um, yeah. Well, he called and left a message with me to pass on to you. I love it. So that uh, he wouldn't have to be shouting into the void. I love it. I love it. And I apologize. And he's number one, not number two. So oh, sorry. Number sorry. one. But he's the chair guy, right? That's the only thing I know about him. Early on in our relationship, you quoted it to me. You said, make it so, number two. Uh, <laughs> and I found out only within like a week of that happening years ago, I was like, that's not even like a thing he says. He says number one. Is that just like an extra... Like he wants me to be an even larger step down. Is that what that was? Um, like a really good uh, under under the skin tactic. He's, hey, either, he's either an asshole or he doesn't know Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he talks about it in Transformers like a loon. Django, it is the perfect time for two buddies who haven't seen each other in a couple of days to have a fucking sip. Well, let's let's have a ting. Oh, oh. 
actually <laughs> I, I dinged it I, I flicked it into the computer mic like i'm using that right <laughs> we don't use computer plebe <laughs> um okay well let's get into this let's start with will eisner's the spirit by darwin cook J bone and dave stewart yeah I haven't read a ton of The Spirit, and I saw the movie and didn't like it. Did Frank Miller direct that? <laughs> that was the last thing they let Frank Miller put his hands on in a movie. What did he do? Um, he he directed it? it. He did he, direct he wrote it? wrote it and directed it and like, like chopped it up into little pieces and buried it in the desert and shit all over it and used a Dick Tracy quote instead of a spirit quote for the did tagline. Really? I'm on my way. That's a Dick Tracy thing. Man, okay, well, I do remember not liking that. Um, and I have not been able to get my hands on much of the actual Will Eisner spirit. We've got a few of them that right. I should just bring you. I, I just uh, put them in some boxes today. Well, I did take, we did get like a hardcover in and a weird collection yeah. that I brought home and I haven't checked out yet. Roma took it and then I actually recently got it back, but I'm excited to look at that. Um, without knowing a ton of about will i think that you probably dropped these books into my lap because you know i love darwin cook and also had predicted that i would be a pretty huge fan of will eisner yeah it was mostly the darwin cook connection um and the fact that i really liked that series when it was coming out and looking back on it now and looking at the creative forces that are behind it um it's no wonder that i liked it like sergio argones writes some issues in that series he doesn't even draw them; he just writes them huh i've never imagined him as just a writer and darwin cook drew him no darwin only drew a handful of issues um but they they moved on to some pretty solid artists like it never it never got bad well what's interesting is that dc put this book out is that Mm -hmm. does that make sense it's a licensed character right so dynamite has the spirit now dc had it then like everybody everybody probably except for marvel has had a hand in spirit comics okay well we'll start with this one which is good because it's gorgeous and i don't think given the time that it came out in 2007 that it was incredibly formative in a young developing django this is more the things that happen in your life if you have a django um but this whole thing is mostly just the spirit linking up with this female news broadcaster who was kidnapped in the middle of a broadcast and he rescues her are spirit stories like largely singular in nature is did did will eisner often do like larger arcing stories or i'm not sure about will eisner's Mm -hmm. series but i think that i think for the most part they were like one and done kind of stories yeah um and all of these ones i don't know if there's even like a common thread throughout the series other than just like the spirit and uh like super hot chicks with crazy names yeah Um, and in this one we have ginger coffee Um, yeah and yeah yeah, it's crazy how in this it is not it's clearly a current day thing there are cell phones and the technology is modern and yet he does do that thing where it, it, it feels more than anything his art feels like you're watching panels of a cartoon show particularly like yeah. the paul dini stuff like batman the animated series batman beyond which darwin cook had his hand in so it does it does make sense but it is insane to me how i think at first it, it's a seemingly off-putting thing for me because it feels like a lesser than version of a cartoon show mm-hmm. um darwin style can <clears throat> feel that way if you're not like really paying attention to it but then moreover 
that makes absolute sense because he is a cartoonist in the truest sense of the word. And, you know, it, it, it makes sense that his art is, is cartooning in the way that it is static images of a cartoon show. Like it's that he's approaching it like a storyboard rather than like a, like a comic book on paper kind of like he's, he's telling of, the action. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, and, but, but it is more than just storyboarding, you know, like it, it, it isn't just like, you know, the images that would make up a cartoon, but, but just like the inking style reminds me of the cartoon mm-hmm. shows from my childhood, but the images are so perfect for, you know, illustrated cartooning because like you're saying, he does visually convey the action, but also not like he uses silhouette and doesn't show action just as often. Mm-hmm. And he uses suggestion. Um, it, it just, it's his, the masterful nature of his st- storytelling. I do, this has uh, Jay Bone on colors, no inks and Dave Stewart on colors. I do like Darwin more when he inks himself. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. And it, makes sense because he does that thing often where like you know if somebody is in a coat and their arm is bent and out he'll like draw it by drawing an ink line for the bottom of their forearm and their elbow going up to their arm but he doesn't actually even draw a line for the top of the arm or anything and then the coloring would just oh interesting um and that's very evident because that's such a prominent thing in his art when you are having somebody else do the coloring, I think there's inference about where those lines are and the coloring or the inking. I guess I like when he does his inking and his coloring. Okay. Um, but also his own, his own inking. My point is, is that he relies on inferred lines, Mm -hmm. like not having a line or having it a color comprise it and have it not be ink. And I think that when it's all, under his control it's conveyed a little bit more clearly sure. um there's a lot of suggestion that goes into his art and well, I think that when it's coming out of just his mind it's a little bit clear where where does this fall in his career 2007 he, so, so had he done um uh new frontier i would think he had done new frontier and okay. i know that jay bone even came on for some inks on new and color and stuff in new frontier yeah okay Um, but yeah, so 2007, I forget which years New Frontier came out, but I would say probably early 2000s, if I had to guess. One of the things that I really like about that particular Spirit series, and also, uh, who who wrote this? Darwin wrote it and drew it. Darwin wrote and drew it. Okay, eventually, I think, I think this series gets passed off to Palmiotti and Gray for for a, a run. And uh, it, it was coming out around the same time as the Jonah Hex series mm-hmm. that, that those two were doing and that Darwin also did an issue or two for. And just the, just like the one and done formula that they have for those is really satisfying. Like, you know, everything's going to be fine in the end. You know, the cowboy is going to ride off into the sunset having shot the bad guy. And you know that the spirit is going to, you know, have his have his face punched a couple times and be thrown in the water and yeah, he got saved wet. the dame. They even made mention that in here. Like, I hope he's not moist. I hope he's not like they keep really? mentioning that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in general, the spirit doesn't interest me very much outside of the art. 
like yeah. it's it's not a type of story that i'm super into like kind of noir even less like mystery but just sort of like crimey action chase stuff yeah but it seems like it's always accompanied by these artists that make me incredibly interested in looking at it like will eisner and Darwin cook so i'm excited to read the rest of this which i absolutely will i kind of wonder if uh the the trope in this series of him being thrown in the water or it always raining is just because will eisner was so good at drawing rain a lot of the stuff of his that i look through is like it, there's always a rain scene. Somebody's hat is always dripping over their eyes. Yeah, and Darwin is very good at it as well. Even just like this, uh, I'm yeah. flashing Django, a shot of the sewers, but like even just like the little ripples in there. Yeah. Like the way that he conveys depth God, within he's water. He's such a good artist. He's such a good cartoonist. <laughs> you know, he's conveying so much with so little, and that's what I think is absolutely incredible. So yeah. um, loved this one. Thank you, Django. We'll be reading more of that. Good. Yes. Good. Um, well, what, uh, I, if, if I had known that you were reading that, I would have read that Darwin issue of, uh, Jonah Hex. Yes. And he also did a fair amount of the stuff of all-star Western with the Palmiotti and gray. Oh yeah. That was, that was, that was a right after later on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so let's jangle. Let's talk about Lobo. Let's talk Lobo. about Is the key- bad bastard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He is that bad bastitch. I have been on record on the podcast as saying that he's like, you know, Deadpool 10 years before Deadpool. Uh, I mean, this is 89. No, this is 90. So it's just, a, you know, not too long right before. before. Yeah, Marvel was going to be like pooping out that big old... Five years? Mouth. Five yeah. years before Deadpool. But Deadpool didn't turn into a Lobo in that analog until a couple of years after that. Yeah, yeah, until... Mike Way or whatever his name was. <clears throat> so um, Daniel Way. Daniel Way. So this is uh, this is not Lobo's first appearance, but it I think it counts as Lobo like the modern Lobo's first appearance. It's it's Keith worth mentioning. Giffen. Yeah, the Keith <clears throat> Giffen did the plot and breakdowns, but it was scripted by Alan Grant and then art by Simon Bisley. But it does seem like Keith Giffen is kind of maybe the the fatherish of this modern Lobo. Is that yeah? Fair? And- yeah, and he actually might have Lobo's first appearance was in Omega Men number three. I don't think Keith Giffen wrote that, but he could have. Like that was that was in his wheelhouse. But like he'd spent some time in Justice League Europe or Justice League International or something, right? Not yet. Not Lobo yet. Lobo hadn't at this point. No, this is the first time that you saw Lobo as the the biker with a hook on the end of a chain and a big old motorcycle with those ape hanger handlebars um yeah this this was grown-up lobo until this point lobo had like an orange and blue checkerboard costume and every drop of his blood would spawn another lobo Hmm. they just kind of waved their hand and said that didn't happen (laughs) um so what made me give this a chance at all because you know lobo (laughs) does not seem like a thing I would care at all about. In fact, it, it, it seems like the kind of thing that I would have liked, the, the kind of people I would have really disliked in junior high would like Lobo, you know? Sure. Um, but Simon Bisley is an incredible artist, and I hadn't really seen Simon Bisley's sequential work before. Oh, so you've probably seen a lot of covers and, yeah. and stuff like that that he's done. Yeah. 
Yeah. In fact, what are some other like Simon Bisley interiors? Uh, he did a few issues of Hellblazer near the end of the Vertigo run. Um, he did. He, he's done quite a bit of stuff with Kevin Eastman. Okay. Um, so like, I think there was something called Body Bags that he did. Um, he's. It's all kind of sideways sort of independent stuff. Okay. Uh, lots of metal. I really like his painted work. I do too. Uh, and that's what I've mostly he, seen is his co- by covers. Yeah. But when I, I enjoy his, his uh, line work a lot too. I read the paramilitary Christmas special where Lobo's hired by the Easter bunny to kill Santa Claus. Is that Bisley also? It is. I, I think that Bisley did... I think it went Bisley for four issues of the original series, which you, you just read the first one. Mm-hmm. And then they did the paramilitary Christmas special. And then they did Lobo's back. And I think Bisley was only able to keep up with the first two or three issues. And then they switched over to kind of a Bisley light. And okay. then he was basically off of the Lobo books after that. And I don't know if there, there, there's probably some bad blood between him and DC is my guess. It, one of the things that interests me is what the balance between Keith Giffen and Simon Bisley in this is because breakdowns are done by Keith Giffen in this. Mm-hmm. And you've given me, and we'll probably talk about them in the subsequent things that happen when you have a Django issue, but uh, the, the, what are the, like, you've given me Keith Giffen issues before that he's done the art for, and he has yeah. this really unique line ink style. Yeah, and, and the stuff that I've given you is from his weirdest period where he was kind of channeling, like if, if Jack Kirby's brain completely broke, that's kind of what Keith Giffen's art looked like at some point. Well, I see a lot of this in that. Yeah. Like a lot of squiggly, thin, extraneous line. Mm-hmm. Um, it, particularly like in like not his foreground things, but like the um well just like even here's a random asinine shot but like this family dinner here Mm -hmm. like there's just the way that the the weight of the ink line on the seats and the background and like where the extraneous lines are just it's almost abstract yeah it's almost abstract and and sketchy and very thin line and it just it reminded me of that keith giffen stuff that you'd showed me so i was curious where the boundary between Simon Bisley and Keith Giffen is in this, also given that Keith did um, breakdowns. So the breakdowns are generally like pretty rough thumbnails mm-hmm. of the panels. And from from what I've seen of Bisley's work and just knowing the timeline, like Keith Giffen's weirdo art style that you're talking about didn't happen for another four or five years. Well, I would heard- guess that um, Giffen took if 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 there's a transfer there, I think Giffen probably took something from Bisley. And, and that's what the cartoonist kayfabe guys had proffered as well from this same yeah. thing, which is that, yeah, he probably, um, while being kind of in charge of this one, seemed to probably have an, uh, a before Bisley and after Bisley thing where there's a mark in yeah. his life. Well, and there's also, like, if you look at other books that Giffen has done uh, breakdowns for, or or even just full art um this book is a lot different in structure uh giffen uses a nine panel grid a lot 
Yeah, and, like, and there's not much of that in here. Inferior six or inferior five or whatever that yeah. book that definitely what isn't going to finish now. Um, yeah. He did the breakdowns on as well, and and he does yeah. have a, a style. Um, it's worth mentioning that this is a fucking good comic book. It's so good. This is a very good comic book. Yeah. And imagine what that came out in 1990. Yeah. So imagine 13 year old Django's big old boner watching those heads get cut off and like all the explosions and almost swearing. And like, there's, I didn't realize this until the cartoonist kayfabe guys mentioned it on their podcast, but uh, there is straight up a dick shaped building on the first yeah, page. Yeah, there sure is. I didn't put that together at all as, as a spunky that, 13 year old. That dig, dick shaped building that you're mentioning is another good example of that. The line style that reminds me a lot of, the Keith Giffen later online style. So when you inevitably look at this issue that you have somewhere in your house, those lines are what I'm talking about. So the almost swearing, I don't care for, but that's because I'm from after the fact that that would have happened. So I think it would have been clever when it happened, but then growing up- You weren't up, allowed to swear in comics. Yeah, exactly. And you could get this anywhere. I probably got this at a 7-Eleven. In and fact, you know, I know I got, I got this <laughs> issue. You're holding the issue that I bought at a gas station. Oh, really? That's my copy that I bought a hundred years ago. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, I got to make sure and get this one to you because the Nathaniel Dusk that you let me borrow, it's just straight up the middle page is not adhered to the staples. So that's I was probably like, also the one that I bought. I think I okay. just loaned all my comics. Good. I was like, got to take care of these. Um, <laughs> but like one thing I loved about this, um, less the explosions and the half cursing, more the like absolutely insane camera angles. Like page two, Django, I know you're pulling all these out of your brain for your memory, but right after we see the space dolphins, there's uh -huh. just a shot from overhead at like a tilted 45 degree angle looking down on Lobo, who's looking down on a book between his legs. And it's just like, why is that the angle that you chose? And it's so good. It's, it's almost like he just like he got drunk and started to draw and didn't care whether his paper was straight. And then in the morning decided where to put it on the page. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. And you know, I, I love <laughs> the art in comic books. That's more often I'm compelled by the art unless it's writers. I know that I absolutely love, but this also was, was amusing and was <laughs> funny and clever and unique and didn't, it, it defied my expectation for what this Lobo comic was going to be. Well, in the situation, like, I guess the situational humor in Lobo is at least as skilled as the one-liners and the just kind of the, the, they're not actually fart jokes, but they're like fart joke adjacent one-liners. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I judge people who like fart jokes. You judge I'm just as well. Kidding. I don't. <laughs> so one thing I love a lot from this time, and I don't know anything about it really, and I know you, you probably do, um, but just this effect, and I don't know if we'll be putting a video up of this. I would really like to. I might work on editing a video. I'm wearing a shirt. I'm wearing a shirt. <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt. Um, but this, like the coloring that's going on here, do you see the black and the blue? Yeah. Am I, am I holding this in a way to- yeah, yeah. I love that shitty, like, the difference in like what that black is and then whatever they have to do with the blue, but you can see the area on the black where the blue is over it. And it like yeah. 
it's it's distracting when we look at it now back then it was just kind of how comics were all you knew yeah yeah and it's because like they so you can't trust a a printing press to register things perfectly so Uh things don't seam up so they have to overlap it a little bit and i think that they they just cranked comics out so fast it's like fuck it overlap it a quarter inch if you can yeah yeah uh it's charming like i i really like it and this yeah, it's worth it to me to read a comic book that I don't particularly care for the writing if I really am liking the art. Mm-hmm. And this one, I, albeit was a little bit confused, like moving through it, there's the sort of like cult of the acolytes of Lobo and there's like this unauthorized biography of that's been written. And it's, yeah. it, it does remind me of like UK comics, like something yeah. out of like heavy metal or uh, you know anything like that, 2000 AD. Like, I'm sure Bisley yeah. came from heavy metal. Yeah, he's probably one of, yeah, he's probably a European artist. Gosh, it's just so cool. There's this page where he walks into this bar, the gas station that Uh they go to. He and the grandma, that's the other last Zarnian. And just like every face on this page, every person is interesting (laughs) and disfigured. And just, it was really cool to read this. I think that, yeah, Lobo in this incarnation with this writer and this artist is is much more um gosh, I can't think of the word for it, but it, it's it's way more irreverent than it is like a cool thing. At some point it gets cute. Yeah, like I, I, whatever the that tone that makes Deadpool what Deadpool is, I don't mm-hmm. like that and it mm-hmm. felt like this was going to be that. And yeah. it's not like it's 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 irreverent instead of being sort of cute, I guess. And I think Deadpool is kind of cute. Yeah, and when you get to the ongoing Lobo series, that's when it it gets a little more polished. I think Keith Giffen steps away, and it's just Alan Grant, and it's set in the main DC universe. Like this is in the DC universe, you get Legion characters, but it's not in the DC universe. You know, yeah. it's 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 removed enough and. This was this was a fucked up grown up comic. Like I don't know how violent that one gets. The paramilitary Christmas special just gets like way out of out of the. This one doesn't get there, but you know you got some butt cracks. You got you do have violence for sure, um, but it, I don't think it's it's gratuitous for the sake of that. And I do think that it finds that later on, right? Uh, I don't know if that series does. I know the paramilitary Christmas special and Lobo's back too. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I liked it a lot, dude. Yeah, um, kids, kids love chains. And so I do assume that our next podcast is going to be you having watched all 10 episodes of the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary and just the things that happen when you have a Jeff in your life, right? Oh, gosh, I guess. Sure. <laughs> sure. I was hoping you, you could sabotage me with it. some comics, but uh, I'll do it. Uh, so I bet you read some other stuff. I did. I read Justice Incorporated. What the yeah. fuck was this book? <clears throat> Okay, you let me let me me let me anything about this book when you gave it to me. So that book is the same creative team as The Shadow, um, which is my like the the comic that got me into comics, right? Right. Um, it's illustrated in a really unique way. Uh, I've I've never seen another comic illustrated like this. The closest that I could come is probably Nathaniel Dusk, which we'll talk about pretty soon too. Um, this follows the Avenger. Who, who is a I character, he's like an old know. pulp character. Nobody right. knew him. Yeah. I only knew him. This came out after The Shadow wrapped up, I think, or right before The Shadow wrapped up. And The Avenger was a character in that Shadow series for like three issues. 
as an okay. old man in the 1980s. And so this follows him from, and correct me because I, I didn't read the, the first issue. I just read the second issue. I bet it follows him from like 1952 or 53. 47. 47. To 57. Or let me check the final date. Um, the second, 58. Okay, 58. So it's basically a guy who can mush his face around. He looks like Robert Mitchum, uh, an old old screen actor. Uh by default, but he can smash his face around and take on other people's identities. And he's kind of manipulated by the government to use his powers to um, incite bloodless coups, basically, right? This book is incredible looking. Yeah. I've never seen anything like this. It's painted, like oil painted, and then inked on an overlay I've, I've been trying to buy some of the original art for it so like it, all of the black lines on there which are just outlines they're there he rarely right. inks anybody's eyebrows either. right there's no line work to speak of except for the rim of physical bodies like there's Glasses. no yeah you don't there's no drawn facial expressions anywhere it's like it's, I guess, oil, like you're saying, it almost was like photo referency. I'm like, what is, what is this? It's not though. They, they couldn't, they couldn't do it like that. Not like he may be referencing photos, but he's painting all of that stuff. It is insane. It yeah. is incredible looking. I want to read that shadow issue very bad now. Cause if it's this style, it, I've seen images of it and looked through it. It doesn't feel like it's as extremely this style. It's the shadow is all the line work. Okay. And, and colored normally this, this was a prestige format, like a fancy thing that they did. Um, it, it, the first half of this, I was loving looking at it, but mm -hmm. I did not like reading it. The, yeah. That, that stood out to me too. Reading the second issue. I was like, this is a very different kind of storytelling than we get now. And what it reminded me of, actually, is that book that we read at the live podcast, like Strange Skies Over East Berlin. Uh-huh. And it reminds me of that because the bulk of the first half of this is dealing with communism and hidden communist agents and the Red Scare and political coups. And that is not a thing that is super interesting to me because the yeah. time is so foreign to me that I, I don't. I can't really place it. I just, I'm too ignorant of that time period and the political struggle there and exactly the nuance of it. I think if That's, I could watch a good Ken Burns documentary of it for like eight hours, I would yeah. probably fall in love with it and talk to you about it nonstop for a month. Do but, it. But right you probably now, did one. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> this Jeff, um, I just like the first 10 or 12 pages are like uh, the silhouette of a movie theater audience watching a movie. Oh Yeah. And it's like the origin of the Avenger, but then he like storms out because it's not actually his origin. And like halfway through that, I forgot that there were silhouettes of people at the bottom, like Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. Right. And I just, I didn't know what was going on and that frustrated me. And I was just about to dip out and I was like, I'll just like skim a little bit. And then then I made sense of what was going on. Like once mm -hmm. they like kind of put this person in a political situation and like they started doing these time jumps where he was like, like I just didn't know what he was or what any of this was. Yeah. And and then it's like, oh, it's a guy who can change his appearance. And now he's like having these political things happen. And from that point, I actually enjoyed the second half 
quite a bit. Like I don't, I don't particularly like this guy's writing okay. very much. Um, and I don't really like this style of story that much for the time period, but it is so interesting looking mm-hmm. that once I was able to get a grasp of what was going on, I did quite enjoy the second half because it's just, I've never seen anything like this. And I think that is, I, it, it's worth it to me to read something that I don't necessarily care about the story if the art really speaks to me. So this was like probably 50 or 60 years after the Avenger was the major player in, in American psychology. Mm-hmm or the, the American psyche, similar with the shadow, like the shadow kind of quit being interesting to people in the late forties and then had a 12 issue comic in the seventies and then nothing happened until the eighties. So like these guys are going deep into the pulp characters to, to make these stories. Um, I wonder if even more removal of the character and the kind of the, just where the country was at, at either of those times makes that a lot harder to really get into and, and enjoy. I do think that if it, if it had no basis at all on a pre-existing character, I think it would have worked better for me mm-hmm. because as it stands, like there's the Avengers from Marvel. Then there's like the right. Avengers, like Steed and Peel. Right. And then there's right. the Avenger, like the, the original it, Avenger. Yeah. There's too many different things there that I, I didn't, I couldn't put a finger on it. And then the political climate was so foreign to me that I couldn't really ascertain motive. And does he call his uh, knife and his gun by name in, in that? I don't remember. There were, it, it is a double sized issue from a dude who is very wordy. It's very verbose. I couldn't yeah. believe how long it took to get through this when I read the second issue. If I remember right, um, the Avenger is the guy who names his gun and his knife, Mike and Ike. Oh, I like that. After yeah. the candy uh sure sure um yeah this was i started reading this this morning and this was sort of when i was like oh time is going to work differently than i did <laughs> before i record this podcast this evening well um, if if you're i guess i guess you do have the second issue if you're interested in it i read it i read just the second issue and really enjoyed kind of the the twists and turns i um, i finished the issue wanting to read the second one yeah um Mostly just because I don't know when I'll ever see something that looks like this again. Like it's, I, it's so cool. And it's so interesting to think about like if the shadow art is anything like this, or even just this creative team in this tone, um, really interesting to like be cutting your teeth on these comics as a young person. And it's really interesting between the spirit, Nathaniel dusk justice incorporated and the shadow. Does that explain some things? It's all pulp. Like in Nathaniel Dusk, they reference the shadow and Dick Tracy and Injustice Inc. They're referencing movies of pulp characters. Listen, and I'm I like, like men in fedoras. Yeah, I get it. It's cool. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would say of these four, I probably liked Justice Incorporated the least. Uh-huh. And, still, and still think that it's like insane that it exists. Mm-hmm. Like I can't imagine DC putting out something even kind of like this now or taking a risk on this art. I could, I could see them maybe taking a risk on the art. I can't see them taking a risk on the character. No way, no how. Um, Can you think, like, what, what is a similar even kind of type of art that DC has put out that is this far outside the norm of things? I don't know. Every once in a while, like, um, Matt Wagner's um, Grendel stuff sometimes reminds me of this. And there was a Grendel Batman that felt similar. Um, 
they they don't do a ton of painterly stuff anymore though. Yeah, i mean they don't they even, do it's kind of boring i think marvel takes more risks with art than dc does yeah definitely lately yeah they haven't done anything this interesting to look at in a long time um and you know these guys these guys had i think they had just wrapped up the shadow this came out what in it just says 1989 so i don't know that's about when the shadow was wrapping up. Um, What's the story with like, they ended the shadow, but still had a working relationship they wanted to pursue. So they did this book. Like, like I, I know that, that they, they were had a... kind of working on this concurrently. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, maybe what it was is that they brought the Avenger into the shadow in order to kind of give a launching board for the justice Inc. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they knew that they were going to stop doing the shadow at the, at the point where the Avenger shows up. Cause he shows up like, three issues or four issues from the end was the shadow book that you were so fond of that you started reading was that a dc publication at the time yeah okay yeah the shadow is owned by condi nast and they license the shadow out to different publishers and i kind of wonder yeah it looks like um this is copyright the condi nast publication so i think they probably own the avenger also and mm. probably doc savage as well i would guess i think that they just kind of it's it's like a French fashion magazine, and they ended up with all these American pulp character copyrights. I'm sure that you have looked at the two Justice Inc. covers side by side. I haven't. What's uh? They are they are oh, yeah. glossy, and they have a cross that this person is running through. Yeah, and it's at the like if you hold them next to each other, it's at the exact same spot in the bottom right hand corner of each one. And there's like a shadow of them on the left, and they're running through these crazy perspective shots, jumping up. Like it's 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 really nice sequential cover work as well. Yeah, I man, Kyle Baker, Kyle Baker is a master at body language and. And just being super realistic and super cartoony all at the same time. Kind of similar to Darwin, you know, like you get a lot from a single panel, um, especially in this era of his work. Recently, when he does stuff, I don't think that he's putting as much time in the cartooning side of things. Um, And he he does most of his work on computer now um, with some crazy coloring and, and like graphic fills for clothing and stuff. It's, it's, he hasn't he hasn't turned into more of a normal artist with time that's for sure well that i love to hear that and even just like the cross of all these even with this darwin book that's you know 17 years after any of these other ones Mm -hmm. um they all are of a of a similar strangeness relative to mainstream art and i think it's cool it speaks to you know not to compliment you at all, but it does speak to <laughs> your, you know, you were, you've been reading non-mainstream art seemingly your entire life. And even to be a product of like the generation where you're loving Lobo or something, you know, all of these things I was reading, I was like, these are all really interesting looking. And, you know, all of these were coming out in a sea of uh, Jerry Ordway drawing Superman and Jim Aparo, fucking Jim Aparo drawing Batman. The the weirdest Batman thing that you could get at the time was like um, Norm Brayfogle. Yeah. Who was doing like, if you took, if you took a DC house style and 
ask them to run it through a Photoshop filter called Simon Bisley. That's kind of <laughs> Norm Bray Fogel's look, like super weird and pointy. But yeah, it's it's that that's interesting. I, I never really thought of um, my taste as running kind of counter to the time period that I came up in, but. I well, I I mean, like truly, I think that if I if I was your same age, and I just was like reading, I was like, this is in 1983. Like, when? Why the fuck did he have this? And I was like, oh right, Django's older than me. Yeah, um, and, and I kept being like, why was he reading this book from 1983? I was like, oh wait, well I guess it's probably around the age that you would have gotten a comic book. If 89 I was- is when I started collecting the Shadow. Before that, I collected Indiana Jones comics because I okay. love, you know, the original Man in a Fedora. Um, let's talk about Nathaniel Dusk, private investigator, Natty D, uh, written by Don McGregor, Gene Colan. Django, if you're curious, as far as I can tell, Nathaniel Dusk is a character that Don McGregor had created himself. Yeah. And, uh, he and you're, you're reading, I believe the first appearance of Nathaniel Dusk. I am reading that. I'm also reading the first write-up by Don McGregor. Mm-hmm. In a Nathaniel Dusk issue, I read the right. I read the write up at the back. Jane. And does that write up mention the research that he put in to find out uh, what the weather was like in New York the days that the story takes place? <sighs> because one of the write ups, he 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 has write ups in most of them, um, or at least in in the first issues of both of them. He talks about making sure that he's incorporating as much realistic weather and newspaper headlines and in in the write-up for the second series nathaniel dusk private investigator two apple peddlers die at noon which is stunning that it exists um he talks about how he misused the word gunsel in the first series and got some flack for it so you won't find the word gunsel in the second series good don if there's one thing that upset me while reading this it was that um the uniqueness of this art is really interesting to me yeah the the well who colored it gene colon drew it he's just listed as the oh um he's listed as the artist tommy zuko did the colors okay he did he did the colors in the second one also did he um so the the most interesting thing to me in this is that there is no ink in it yeah it's the gene colon kind of signature for a while was basically penciling and then fucking his colorists over by just giving them pencils and that's super interesting when now i think about like the jeff lemire dennis cohen sinkevich question thing we've been reading Mm -hmm. black label um and just the role that a rinker an inker could play in gene colin's pencils because they're gorgeous but it reminds me this reminds me so much of tom scioli's work Hmm. So in like the Super Friends backup at the end of the Cave Carson things, uh, he was really using a style where he doesn't use Incline. Interesting. So even like Transformers versus G.I. Joe, that book he did, it's not using Incline. I'd have to double check Fantastic Four Grand Design, but I'm pretty certain there's no Incline in that one. Yeah. And yeah. it's a very unique style and it it looks in such a way that nothing else looks like it. Like it, it's so uncommon that it immediately clumps together. Yeah, this the the Nathaniel Dusk books have a super unique look, and I don't know, man. This this guy's uh, the way that he conveys action and emotion in these characters. I think is really really skilled. Um, it's basically just your straight up hard boiled detective crime story. Like Leggy Dame walks into the office in the first three pages, right? Django, 
It is, and it's not, though. And I think what is so awesome about this issue is that it is like a 1984 DC Comics version of that. Okay. So it is, it is not as extremely any of the facets of that that I don't love that much. Like, it's not so hard-boiled motherfucker at some point that egg is too hard boiled okay <laughs> at some point you got to realize that that egg should have come out five minutes ago um this one it's like a perfect hbd um i <laughs> <laughs> hard boiled egg hard boiled dust <laughs> um but i loved like i love so so you know, if it were like a Dick Tracy or something, maybe more pulpy, it wouldn't have the almost like teenage high school romance. Between, like the, the the romance between him and this woman is, I really like it. And the dialogue mm-hmm. is awesome. And it skirts this line of like, it's not like womanizing, like a lot of the sort of like, private eye stuff from that era is but i don't even, i can't remember exactly even what she says but there's one sequence in here that i love oh i just love that there's a, a two-page dialogue in here where they're talking about condoms condoms yeah and i my first thought was like they're you know like he's saying like well at some point you know like some people don't like what we do using protection and i was like is this what set django off to never? <laughs> <laughs> um but it's i just really love the you know, she's like, well, you know, like a lot of people wouldn't like, you know, that, that, you know, we know, you know, we do this thing. He's like, no, what? And she's like, you're being a stinker. You know what I mean? Protection. And I'm just like, why is this conversation? Why are we having a two page conversation about this in the middle of this Nathaniel Dust story? And I loved it. That's yeah. Uh, I just read the entire se- season two today. And I thought that I knew that story, but it was like reading it for the first time. I, I must not have read it as often as I read the first series and there are scenes in here where like he meets an old war buddy before he gets in an airplane and they have a four-page conversation and then you never see the war buddy again it's like you're just kind of hanging out with this guy and he he's got a lot of baggage and you know that makes me think about what i really liked in the write-up of this is that he was saying you know like i I knew Nate Dusk for a long time. I was working on another book and I had a manila folder that had a sequence about Nathaniel Dusk in it. And every couple of years I would go back through and look at it and be really excited to one day figure out how this guy found himself in this situation. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like you just have a scene that you like and you're excited to write a series that would justify that scene. Like that's, that's the kind of like, creative following a pursuit that I'm very into. God, I wonder if that scene ended up in the series or not. Um, I have to show you one of my favorite parts of this issue. It's actually on the the two pages that you can cleanly remove. Oh, nice. Um, I know. I thought that too. Uh, it's this man looking at a menu. Uh-huh. And the paper is wrinkled and creased and the font is not at all. Like, right. Right. It's, early, it's early Photoshop-y paste just up kind of stuff. Early, you know, best we could do. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to figure out how to wrap that font so that like... It, it needs to say menu. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved that. I loved all the facial expressions and the way that art worked. You're right. You are getting a lot out of these characters. Yeah. It was just like, it was the perfect amount of not so hard boiled that I, it was, 
unappealing to me, which is a very often sort of how I bounce off these things. Right. It was reined in enough that he was likable the whole way through it. And I wonder how like those noir writers, you know, like how they feel about their protagonists, how heavily they identify with them. Because in this one, he, he has a different flavor that I really like. Well, he like, it's, it's drawing from every single hard boiled trope. And I think it's also drawing a lot from like uh, the, the, the movie serials that you would see when you went to the picture show, right? So there's like a, there's a good cliffhanger every, every few pages, there's a really good cliffhanger. Um, and then the end cliffhangers are great. I could feel the end cliffhangers in this. And then looking at the cover issue two is sort of him fighting with a guy on, on the, the edge roof of the building and the, yeah and like it and and like the resolution to the cliffhangers is always a little bit disappointing yeah it's almost like like it fades to black and then when when the camera fades back into the the thing next week things are a little bit different and the bullet isn't aimed directly at his face it's right. aimed just off center and he's fine um yeah man i I don't know. I, I remember where I got Nathaniel Dusk 2. I remember the campground we were staying issue in. Issue number two or series two? Series two. I don't remember where I got issue number one through four, but I got them all at once. Also, this is store. in good shape. If this is your original book, like it is crisp. It's crisp. It might not be. I love all the like know. really poorly done, slightly angled text boxes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's through line in the second one, but like they're like, let's just kind of put the whole font box at an angle, just but it like French tilt, but it's t- like flat on the top. So there's just these big chunks of unused white negative space because the lines don't line up. Like it's not poorly done, but like the age of it and the kind mm-hmm. of the amount of editorial oversight that there was for it is evident in the book itself. Like it's, yeah. They they put this out and they kind of let it be what it is and and I think the the art style is phenomenal for it like it's just I I'm I'm laughing at myself at how actually eager I am to read the remaining three issues of this because it's like Good. it's just I can't believe that after like a year and a half or two years of you talking about these Nathaniel Dust comics that I would read it and it would be entirely different. Like I guess every <laughs> oh, one of these was entirely <laughs> different than I assumed it was going to be. And they were all better. Um, they were all better than I assumed they would be. So actually I'm like this, to is, hear that. this is an awesome stack of comics. Dude. I was, I was really worried that, uh, that you would read these and that I would have, like my memory of all of these would have been colored by my age or the time or just like, what do you contrast this shit with in 1983? You know, there's, there was shit to read. Yeah. And yeah, it, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you would feel stumbling upon Nathaniel Dust for the first time now. Me neither. <laughs> but it does work very well as a book that one of your best friends read as a child and informed them very well. So you can absorb it that way. Like, you know, it, I was reading it thinking like, how old was Django? Like 83? How, like how, what the fuck? Why did he have this book? <laughs> like who, why did I, he have this? I wouldn't have got it till 89 or 90. Okay. All right. Even still, yeah. Yeah. then it's like a six or seven year old book. And even at that point, why are you reading? And why would a young person 
like this? Like I, that, all of the hilarious questions that were coming of just like, wh- why? I can tell you, I can tell you why I like it. It's because it's Indiana Jones mixed with the shadow. With, with they actually, yeah, and they straight up mention the shadow in, in, in this. Well, because the shadow, it's, it's what? It's 1934, 35 is when it's set. Um, or 32 maybe even on that one. And the shadow was on the radio then. So the little girl, Janie is probably listening to the shadow and Amos and Andy and Dick Tracy on the radio. Right. What's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. But what's interesting is that all of these with the, yeah, good memory, dude. Um, (laughs) I must've read those books probably 30 times, but not in the last 20 years. Yeah. Which is, it is a, that's very cool to have those things in your life. So with the exception of Lobo, all of these are, older books that take place much earlier than the past with which they were written in. So it's like the past through a microscope for all of these yeah. books, you yeah, know, instead like, of like the, the um, retro future that we all love in sci-fi, like the big bulbous rocket ships right. and, and uh, you know, bubble helmets and all that. This mm-hmm. is like the retro past. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially to read it in 2020, you're reading 1930 as told by 1980 in yeah. 2020. Yeah. And that is like all interesting. It's all interesting to think about Django liking all of these things. They all are consistent. Like none of it seems like, not that there's anything wrong with it, but you can, you know, like I think, you know, you could probably say like, oh yeah, Jeff just really likes Batman the Animated Series because that's the animated Batman that he had access to as a seven-year-old. You know, sure. and, and you can kind of oftentimes boil people's interest down to just being a thing that was available to <clears throat> them at the right time. Mm-hmm. But this goes one step for, forward from that and they all have a continuity and an internal consistency. It's not just that this is the comic you have in your seven. It's like, motherfucker liked weird noir crime stuff even as like a like a adolescent it goes it's funny that we make fun of you so much for it and and it's actually true you know it's actually real so i i was very grateful to read all of them i i appreciate that you hoisted all of them on me several times and i I want to read the shadow and and uh it it was it was a very fun experiment to do you know i didn't even really think of the fact that everything I've foisted on you is in the same vein. Like even that Lobo has some uh, relevance to the other ones. He's not wearing a fedora, but he's getting, he's, he's, there's a lot of punching. And he's like the irreverent male who's on the, the verge of normal culture, asserting his own agenda. That's another thing I really like about the Nathaniel Dusk one is they really go into he was a police officer and he stopped being a police officer for a certain reason. And it's Mm -hmm. a very noble reason. It's like, he just like realized that the police were ultimately corrupt enough and like were putting down people that needed support enough that he didn't want to be party to it. And I'm like, I can really get behind that. It's interesting because the Nathaniel Dusk books, especially even when I was a kid reading it, I, I understood how anachronistic, the time was what does so that like What's anachronistic mean like it's it's of its own time if you're you couldn't take any of the characters from nathaniel dusk and plop them into the present now mm-hmm. because they would be horrible racist sexist monsters right and you couldn't have even done it in the late 80s because it just wouldn't have played well even back then right and reading this it felt it felt true 
um, like the, the people in it felt true. They didn't feel like caricatures. They felt like very flawed people from a modern standpoint and very normal people from the standpoint of the, the time that they're written in. I, I think that that's what I really liked about it is they all felt like real people. Yeah. But they, and they also felt these tropes, but they weren't such extreme instances of the tropes that they were either unlikable or unbelievable. Yeah. I'm really glad you liked them. Yeah, dude. Uh, just just a fun thought experiment to go on. Um, I would say probably of the four, my two favorites were Nathaniel Dusk and Lobo, which kind of blows yeah. my mind. Going to what you were just that's, saying. <laughs> um, we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vindicated. Um, no. Uh, so just what you were saying about like, uh noir or pulp and when you transplant those characters into modern times they don't translate well mm-hmm. i think a really interesting exploration of that is actually darwin cook because he like even like when all the comics gate stuff was happening like a year and a half ago like they made some big argument at some point they're like darwin cook would have sided with us and darwin's wife was like you guys are idiots you don't know him and he would have thought that you're idiots right. um but i can understand why someone would very incorrectly jump to that assumption because he does sort of idolize and create these sad sack alcoholic noirish borderline womanizing characters from a previous time Mm -hmm. and as i was reading the spirit book i I, one of the things i was thinking that i really liked is that like you don't really ever know what you're gonna get with a darwin cookbook like he'll he pushes the envelopes in certain ways. Like um, a lot of this issue is told through television narration, or at least some of it, because one of the main characters is a television newscaster, but there's small print text on all of the pages or on all the news screens with stories Uh that are unfolding. And like things like 15 year old accused of having sex with his teacher gets, and then you don't ever find resolution to that, but just like (laughs) things like that over and over again, which you're like, there's something on his mind and he's putting it out there. Um, several things of that theme. Um, I think they would be easy to feel like his women are damsels in distresses, but he always makes them empowered women. Yeah. And in this Definitely. one, like, you know, she kind of makes the spirit seem like a fool, but she is a damsel in distress. So he, feel, he defies a lot of the things that he does kind of go into, but he then yeah. proves a more modern bent on them. And that's a really hard line to walk. Really hard. And, and you see people in future issues of the spirit not walk that line quite mm-hmm. so well. Like he, he nailed it. I think Sergio Argones nailed it, but every once in a while, somebody will, will put a woman in there and you're like, Oh, you just needed somebody to scream in this comic. Yeah. You know, and, and you had a funny like titty pun name for him look at the uh, oh look at that water look at all the water there Gosh. oh so swampy it's just so good um uh, and then before <laughs> that page uh there's just they're changing news sequences and we just get the one page shot of um like a it, pill it's a pill but it's uh just a reminder to take your denatol the breath freshener that's also a clinically proven antidepressant denatol <laughs> it freshens you all the way up which <laughs> <laughs> is just like and like in that issue of Solo um, that was given to me, like he just does ad breaks all the time. He does like right. humorous ad breaks for himself. And that's awesome. It is. Have, it's awesome. Have you read any of the Parker adaptations that he's done? Yeah. I so, read the so ones like, in my Martini edition. So I haven't read the okay. second two. Which I think is on FOC this week to yeah. get the new Martini edition. Yeah, bud. Yeah. And they're reprinting the first one. That's awesome. Um, So we'll finally both have all the Parker Martinis. That character 
is just a straight up bad guy that you root for. And that's but like, he's slapping women around and like, he is, he is not a good guy, but and, he's the least bad out of all the people in his world somehow. Yeah. That is the interesting part for me with those books because they're so beautifully and masterfully done. Uh-huh. But like, usually I'll just decide I'm not going to watch always sunny in Philadelphia. Right. But because Darwin did it, I do read it and it is a weird feeling like I don't root for him and I don't like him, but it's so gorgeous. And it makes me think of like, well, what did Richard Stark think about this character? And what does Darwin think about this character? Like on what level does he identify with him? Why does he do all these adaptations of this character? Yeah. I think it's really interesting to um, have, have something like Nathaniel Dusk, but also some other modern uh, crime noir stories where you don't have to turn a trope on its head to kind of defang the the bad parts of it, if that makes any sense. Like, uh, I think Fatal is a really good example of that. And also a good example of something that would be super hard for someone who wasn't Ed Brubaker or, or another very talented creator to write because it's it takes the leggy dame walking into the detective's office. Like that's, that's the classic setup mm-hmm. for a detective story. It's set in modern times, which is a little bit different. He is a journalist, not a detective. And then it follows her instead of him. And she's been cursed to have everyone who meets her fall in love with her. Is Fatal one long narrative? Yeah, but it's also like, it. it there are chunks that, could stand alone, but it is one one long story about this woman who who it's kind of a, a troublemaker, but not really her fault. But it like the whole thing, one one shade to the left or right could be very problematic. Yeah. And and he rides he rides a very dangerous line there and pulls it off. Uh Fatal is just one of those books that is like the the one of the strongest arguments for something that's worth collecting in issues instead of paperback or hardcover because the text pieces in the back of every single one of those issues that yeah. are like biographies of people that fit loosely like one of them was Aleister Crowley that I ended up yeah. reading about and it was like I learned a bunch of new stuff about Aleister Crowley in it and it was just sort of like why is this in this but it's so well researched and Brubaker is so passionate about that extraneous material that it's fantastic to get them in the issues. It's a great, and it was super fun to be reading these in the issues that you read them in. So it it strengthens the argument for I've got the issues because it it really is fun to read the ads, especially when you're sort of like channeling somebody else's youth. And then I got to the, the, the spirit issue. I was like, Oh, it's 2007. So I remember all these ads. I know these ads. Yeah. Yeah. And even like the 1990 Lobo one had stuff that I remembered. So there was, there was an ad on the inside cover of the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special, just advertising the constitution. I don't know. I I don't, I don't understand. I can't even quite tell (laughs) why, why, like, is it, is it a left thing? Is it a right thing? Is it like, yeah, you can order a copy of the constitution. Just write constitution, Washington, DC, two zero zero six dash three nine nine nine. It's, I was, I was baffled. So that was my comic reading. Django, you've been reading some fantastic stuff as well. Um, Well, I read Superman for all seasons by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Um, 
was colored by Bjarni Hansen. God, that person needs to color more. Yeah, it's it's great. It's a it's a beautiful comic. It's I don't know. I like it's hard to talk about because nothing really happens. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of plot-driven beats. It's I don't think it's a super tight comic, but it's a super interesting look on Superman's life. Well, it's um, kind of like even as I was saying earlier like I think a comic can still be very good if the story isn't very good and the art is incredible. And I think every issue of Superman for all seasons has at least one, but I think oftentimes two full double page spreads that show like there's one in issue one or two. That's a great one. But in issue one or two, there's a shot of him like standing on the farm and the sunset is the most incredible yellow to blue gradient of color that I think I've ever seen. And it is so evocative that like, yeah, you've got it there. It's that's the best. That's the best thing. That's one of the best colorings I've ever seen ever. And uh, each issue of that series has something like that, that like, I haven't read that book in probably 10 years. And I still remember these shots. There's one with like a tornado, I think. Yeah. Um, And just having like, just being able to follow Clark and his dad and, you know, see the, see the small town guy leave town and become a big city boy, but, but still have his roots in Smallville. Um, they set up little tiny mysteries. It never really, like they get resolved, but not in a very satisfying way, but that's okay. Like it, it just feels like you're looking in on Superman's life. It, it doesn't feel written. It just feels like you're hanging out with him for four seasons. And that, um, and I think that that's, I really like that. I, I think Jeff Loeb kind of excels at that. Like all of his like Marvel color books, like Spider-Man blue, Mm-hmm. really similar like i couldn't yeah. tell you what happens in that book outside of the fact that the framing device is just him recording a conversation to gwen stacy on the anniversary of her death because he's and, blue yeah and and you know she's died and he records he talks to her every year on the anniversary of her death and like it's right. one of the most heartwarming things i've ever read um the tim sale art in that though is incredible and it actually kind of reminds me of kyle baker in the like disfigured nature of it yeah yeah i could see that or like the this tiny is, faces <clears throat> big body really tiny face good tim sale and he's he's going through a period right now where i'm not as much of a fan of his work 100 uh, percent. but i don't know that he's reached his final form like i think if he if he went if he leaned all the way into the super shadowy moody graphic stuff that he's doing right now um i could see i could see swinging back into a realm where i I thought, damn, this is good art. Um, he's he's just he's he's kind of in a middle zone for me right now. Yeah, the the like his work with Jeff Loeb, I think, is really the the high point of all of it. Superman for all seasons, and then Batman Long Halloween, Spider Man yeah. Blue. Yeah, incredible stuff. They they did stuff that sort of spread the Marvel and DC trench. But but you liked it. Like I I put it yeah. in my top three Superman stories, but it's kind of the one that. I think is mostly there through feel outside of narrative pull. Yeah. I mean, I think you could give this to somebody who doesn't read comics and they would like it, or you could give it to somebody who wants to know about Superman or who wants to like Superman. There's, there's nothing to not like in this comic. What are your three Superman books? 
uh, I would say this all-star Superman and American alien or um, red sun. Okay. Those, those would, those are the ones that I would hand somebody and say, flip through these and pick your favorite and we'll put the rest back on the shelf for you. I think that your three are also my three. Yeah. I think my three or four. Yeah. And red sun is, it's phenomenal, but I always feel hesitant to say that it's a Superman story. I sure. just think of it as like an Elseworlds DC story. That's fair. Cause it's so wonder woman forward and Batman forward and it's kind of everybody, but maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. Just in general, like super Superman himself isn't a character that I like a lot for the reason that I read comics because yeah, I, Superman Red Sun and in general there's just Superman hard sell. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know the the Superman character is hard for me to get into as like a superhero because he's so hard to hurt, mm-hmm. um, and it takes a, a skilled writer to make to hurt superman's feelings in a way that i believe like you can put lois in peril a thousand times and i'm only going to believe one of those thousand um and like the amount of stuff with superman and his dad in for all seasons Mm -hmm. i feel like kind of gives way to that how you can hurt superman thing yeah all-star superman has one specific issue that is so focused around the pain of superman like losing his dad and then you know, that is one of those masterful instances of how you deeply hurt Superman. Well, and the all-star Superman also begins with Superman having a death sentence that you yeah. never really know if he's going to get out of. Right. Right. Like that's, that's a constant threat through the entire series, which to, to make me not sure that Superman's going to survive something is, is pretty special. And that's, that's going to get me hooked a little bit more. Also, do you remember if he lives or dies at the end of that? I think he dies. But I can't think? remember. Yeah. yeah. That's what Justin and I were talking about on Batman yeah. in Quarantine this morning. Is like, how is Grant Morrison so good at writing stories you remember? And then there's multiple interpretations at the end. And it means mm-hmm. that like, even like Final Crisis, his Batman run, All-Star Superman, all of them, I'm, like a year goes by and I'm like, wait, what happened at the end of that? I should yeah. reread it. And like, that's good storytelling, dude. Let's see. And also I, gosh, I finished Thor. That might be it, man. I've been processing a lot of comics. Oh, we were on a podcast. Oh my gosh. I had a, like, a ton of fun doing that. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, uh, we, we did the City of Subdued podcast. And uh, I think it comes out Monday, tomorrow. And if, uh, if my sources are correct, it'll be on iTunes by then. Nice. And, uh, I think we might even put a copy of it in the feed here. It's just um, it's a cool podcast about Bellingham um interviewing people in bellingham about uh you know what they do and experiences that they've had in bellingham and uh i name dropped geronimo more times than i meant to dude spoilers for that podcast they they started with the question of like what's a in like a bellingham story that you have that other bellingham people might be able to find some sort of familiarity with and like, of course, Django has a million. <laughs> I still can't think of anything that I would say about that. Like I, my, I don't know. It made me realize like my circle is very limited to like some very specific places. And I was like, man, I don't think, I don't know. It made me, I was, I felt really bad to be the person on the receiving end of a question who like just had nothing. I mean, 
I, I think I think if you had dug deep, you would have found a bunch. I kind of cheated and listened to an episode or two before we recorded. So I knew that that was coming up and still forgot to think about it very hard. And that's why I just ended up talking about like mentally ill people in front of the store and cops the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did try to not go that route. Um, yeah, well, that's what I got. <laughs> what, what is Bellingham? <laughs> but I got a lot of stories like that for Colville. So I was like, yeah. none of these people know Colville. What am I doing? Um, but yeah, City of Subdued, that was a ton of fun. And I really hope to have uh, Annika and Maria on our show as well, because they are awesome. They're in the Maybe first like, like to read uh, Nathaniel Dusk too. Oh God, I really enjoyed that. But I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that you're one of my closest friends and I don't know that they would get the same thing out of it. Um, but it was awesome and they're, they're awesome and that podcast rules. And yeah, it's only been available on Spotify until now, but great to hear that they'll have it on iTunes soon. Yeah. Um, so City of Subdued is the name of that podcast. The hosts are wonderful. They've been having great guests on it. I'm saying that because we were on it. Uh, Erica was on it. Marissa was on it. Yeah, they, yeah. They've had a lot of our our friends and peers on there yeah and they're just cool fun folks so that big plug to if you're from <clears> bellingham <throat> or interested in bellingham city of subdued is a great podcast to listen to and i'm excited to have that podcast drop into our feed pretty soon the only question is do i leave their theme song or do i put our theme song like do we make it seem like here's a totally foreign episode drop or do we disguise it as a perfectly acceptable podcast oh gosh i got ideas i don't know if we want to workshop it in front of these nice people's ears you're right probably we shouldn't wait there waste their time um, I asked Facebook for some questions. Holy shit. Okay, maybe it won't be a super succinct one. Let's get some questions. I love that you did um, that. I showed them the picture of the comics that I was reading. And I said, comment here if you have questions for us to answer on the podcast, because the podcasts are about to have new comics again. Yeah. Um, somebody says, that's right. That was a great miniseries. Phil Satile says, why no love for Dark Knight 2? It's brilliant. Phil Satile says, Barry for president. And Michael Geist says, Excited. Okay, so good questions. I, no um, questions at all. I, Phil Satile is a robot, and I love that. <laughs> um, I'm just surprised he didn't say Raw Daddy. I agree with you. He sent me the most incredibly nice email after the Star Trek podcast and had some really positive feedback about it, and awesome. I haven't written him back yet. But Phil, A, I'm so glad you're all right and you're safe because we love you endlessly, even though you're not actively producing the podcast right now because we're all in different spots. Um, and thank you for your feedback. He recommended Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So I'm incredibly excited oh. to check that one out. Uh, thank STDS you for I love Phil. God, Phil. Um, gosh. Yeah, Django. Okay. All right. So we're going to have new comics. Like, like, while the store will not be open in the capacity that it has, new comics will be coming out, which means we'll at least have content for the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's been really interesting to see all of the different podcasts that I listen to deal with this in different <laughs> ways. You know, like everyone's schedule or content has been thrown off drastically and recording schedules and ways are totally out the door. And I appreciate everyone for keeping up with like our audio. Um, I, we prided ourselves on our audio for 170 episodes and then we had to do all of this through remote video stuff. And no longer can I like pride myself on the 20 minutes of audio setup we do before every podcast oh, just pride yourself on on getting it out and getting it pretty good we i'm not doing that so good, i can't <laughs> it's not i'm not doing you know, it on time um 
the podcast, like the NPR podcast that I listen to, like Freakonomics and Radio Lab and stuff like that, they're they're constantly talking about their audio quality and their audio recording situation, and it makes me crazy. Django, I assume you will watch all of Michael Jordan before you and I both go into the office tomorrow. Yeah, it's either that or read all of Volume Four of East of West and the last three issues of Gothic. We're gonna have to read all of East of West Volume Four tomorrow at some point before our book club. We're grown-ups, and we can do it. Yeah, I just have to get up early. <sighs> yeah. We have a lot to do tomorrow. We have a lot to do every day, it's turned out. The yeah. Last chunk of time. Well, with new comics coming in, uh, everything's about to get turned more. on its head again. If people who are listening are curious the best way to get their comics, um, you can either order them on the website or let us know, and we'll send you a link to, to order exactly what's in your file. Yeah, hopefully you have responded to a Facebook message, email, or phone call from us that has confirmed that you still want to be getting your subscriptions or not. Yep. But if you did confirm that, you can assume that anything that's coming out from here on out that is on your sub list will be going in your file. Yep. Um, if you don't want to be getting anything new and you haven't told us that yet, please get a hold of us. Don't be afraid. We won't be, be mad. Afraid. No, not even kind of. Uh, we've all done that. We've all been there. And then like Django said, shop.thecomicsplace.com is the best way for you to peruse the next several weeks of new comics that will be coming out that might not be on your list. And through that, you can pay for and pre-order new comics that wouldn't have been on your list. And then you can also get a hold of us and we'll send you a list and invoice for everything in your file and you can pay for it that way. And then we'll bring it out to your house like a couple of very cute boys. Super helpful. And we don't mind doing the deliveries one bit. I no. kind of like it. I think it's No, fun. it's become a you. part of my life that I really value actually. Like yeah. drive, I, it took probably two weeks to get into the routine of how to like effectively trace addresses through circuit. And then like, I don't know about you. Here's my routine. Yeah. Uh, I take off. I start the podcast. I go to the location, I pause the podcast, I get out of the car, I leave the car running, I go drop off the package, I come back into the car, I start the podcast, I go back to Circuit, which is our routing app, I hit done, I hit start, I track my new location, and then I'm off. But it took a while to like get the flow of, can I listen to podcasts while doing this? And then when do I do that? And I kept forgetting to put my car in park after I had parked, because you got to like, Anyway. Yeah, like do you, do you take your keys out and put them in your pocket? Do you leave your keys in and almost lock them into the car? Do you roll your windows up? Do you leave them down? It's You leave it's the car running with the windows down in my case. I, I do some combination of all of those depending on how long I think I'm going to spend looking for somebody's apartment in their apartment complex. You can uh, never give delivery people enough directions if you live in an apartment <laughs> complex. You can never give them too many directions because apartment complexes are like their own labyrinth. They're their own complex. Minotaur. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I listen in my earbuds and bring my phone with me. Oh, that's diabolical. It works for the first hour, hour and a half, and then my earbuds run out of juice. Okay. So, Do they um, have separate batteries? Uh, they just they sit in a little case that recharges them. That is, I have bonkers. I have the air the air guys. Okay. Um, yeah. So that that keeps my podcast rolling. Okay. It's but I was doing po deliveries with Sam for the first couple of weeks. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I realized I much prefer it alone. Uh, and that really like it becoming a solo endeavor made it go way quicker and made it be a way more like peaceful thing. Which 
if if you live with somebody you don't get a lot of right now it's it's like a little a little any meditative all. you know yeah moment um, don't get any of it at all yeah yeah um so don't worry about having us deliver comics to you we like we doing it. it and yeah. and ordering and having us deliver is honestly the easiest and uh the, it's it's a great way to support the shop right now i'm getting a a face mask tan line Oh, and uh, rubber gloves tan line because I wear rubber gloves the whole time I'm driving around doing deliveries. My cat's shitting right now next to me. I'm Django. And I'm Jeff. And that's my cat shitting right now next to me.